0: morning. morning. Welcome to Friends Church. I'm Steve, one of the pastors on staff here today. And we are in the final week of our series, The Case for Christ, explaining the good news of Christ. And it's been so exciting over these last few weeks to hear your stories, stories of bringing folks to hear the, the case for Christ, to taking them to the movie or picking up the Case for Christ, Answer Booklet, and finding out more about um, our faith and how we can defend it. And so it's, it's been neat to hear and in ways. It's sad to think that this is the last week, but the good news is really it goes on as we continue to, to live for Christ and to, to share Him. And today we're going to be talking about that, explaining this good news of Jesus Christ the case for Christ as we've been studying over the last few weeks and we're going to start this morning by looking at the greatest sermon ever preached it comes right out of Matthew it's what we know as the sermon on the mount Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking, and he starts off with those around him talking about beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are meek, and who finally are persecuted for my sake. And then I think he probably takes a deep breath and, and looks around at those in front of him, and he says this in verse 13, 14, 15, and 16. You are the salt of the earth, But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, light a lamp, and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here, Jesus simply lays out his expectations of those who are going to be called his disciples. And he does it in very common language common language of our time. In common language of their time. In fact, if you would go read uh, back in the first century, there was an uh, author and a Roman, Roman soldier, actually a naval commander, named Pliny, Pliny the Elder. And he wrote these books. We, we call them maybe even the first encyclopedia. We have his natural history. And in there, he writes this He says, Nothing is more useful than salt. And light. Nothing's more useful than salt and light. And so Jesus is picking right up on what they know, things that they're familiar with, a common substance, such as salt and light. And he's basically saying in this metaphor, he's saying, If if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a disciple of Christ. But you do not conduct yourself in a way of a disciple of Christ. You're as useless as tasteless salt and invisible light. I have no use for you in the kingdom if, unless you are going to be salt and you are going to be light. That's what our lives should be characterized by. And so we might sit back and say, okay, in the 20th century, how does this play out? How does this play out to us today, 2,000 years later? And if we go and study scholars, scholars will tell you, especially on salt, that there are a lot of characteristics of salt that we as Christians should have. The first thing we hear a lot of times is we're to be preservatives because salt would have been used as a preservative. It would preserve the meat. It would keep it from decaying. And so we are to be preservatives. And sometimes we take that as, okay, we need to be preservatives in our society. We need to hang on to the good things, and we need to push back, and we need to, we need to be the preservers of all that's good and fight against today's culture. That might be one way. There's also another thing that salt does is it makes you thirsty, When I pour my salt on my popcorn, and I pour my salt on my popcorn, I know I shouldn't. (laughs) But I do. But I I just drink, and I drink because it's so good, but it makes me so thirsty. You know what that's like. And and a lot of scholars will tell you, that's like it is with Christ. We are to be salt, and we, we make people thirsty for Jesus. That could be the case, too, here. But another thing salt does is it flavors. You know what that is. You know, when I'm pouring my salt on my French fries, it's not to preserve them. <laughs> no, no, no. They're going down. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to be tough in the face of a French fry. I can take a French fry. I'm not preserving my French fries. I'm making them tasty. And I want to take them. I want to eat them. And I want to, I want to enjoy them. And, and so some scholars will say, we're to be, we're to be the flavoring of the world. And some will say, in fact, I read some this week and said this is obviously the case here because Jesus is saying if the salt loses its saltiness, he's talking about flavoring. But I wonder if there's another another thing that salt does that sometimes we miss that maybe makes this even come more into focus. And I notice this when I'm reading it. You notice he doesn't say you are the salt of the meat or the salt of the table. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. When you start doing some research and finding out what ancient cultures used for fertilizer, you find out that in many of these cultures, they actually used salt to fertilize the earth. Could Jesus be saying here, the salt of the earth Is a fertilizer. There's a man, his name is, I'll find it here in a second. Anthony, got his article here. Anthony Bradley. Anthony Bradley is a um, professor of religious studies at King's College. He uh, was a chemist. And when he started off as a chemist, he wanted to be a doctor, and he was getting ready to be a doctor, and he the Lord got a hold of him and sent him into seminary instead. In September of this year, he had a paper published in Christianity Today. And the title of this paper is You Are the Manure of the Earth. (laughs) Now, thankfully, when I look out at you this morning, the first thing that comes to my mind is not, (laughs) you're the manure of the earth. (laughs) Most of us would take offense at that. But as he has studied this, and then as he's looked at others that have studied this over the year, and I started reading of others that have studied this over the year, they say, you know, when Jesus is talking about being a salt of the earth, he might be talking a lot more than just a little flavoring. He's talking about being the impetus for growth, the catalyst for exciting new life into the kingdom. We are the salt of the earth. He says this. In further research, I discovered that the ancient Hebrews used salt in this way. But not only them, so did the Chinese in the early Romans. Salt was used in arid places to help soil retain moisture, destroy weeds, make stubborn soils easier to fill, and make sour grass sweeter and more appealing to cattle. In some soils, salt keeps rust. From wheat and blight from potatoes. When applied properly, salt will kill surface weeds while allowing the more deeply rooted plants and grass to thrive. And when rain or irrigation allows salt to permeate soil, the salt chemically frees vital minerals and nutrients into the soil, allowing them to nurture plants. When you think about that, some of what Jesus says in the Gospels makes a lot more sense. Because in Luke chapter 13, he talks about salt again. Listen to what he says. He says this, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be salty again? And then he says this, verse 34, it is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Now, when you think about that, if I'm going to throw salt out, I usually would throw it out on the manure pile, (laughs) wouldn't you? You want to get rid of something, you throw it on the manure pile. He says, no, if the salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer fit for the soil. It's no longer fit for the manure pile. And we find out in studies that they would actually add the salt to the manure pile. And we now know that it, it, what it does something, and I don't understand, I'm not a chemist, I don't understand this, but it takes the gases of the, the manure and it converts them into other properties that are good for the soil. And it preserves the manure. And so he says, when your salt is no good, it's no longer good for the soil. It's no longer good to be a catalyst for growth. It's no longer good to speak into the lives of others, into this world. It's no longer good to be manure. <laughs> and you can no longer be the manure of the world. That's when we just cast it out and trump it overfoot. So Jesus is calling us to be, I think, more than just tasty, more than just a preserver, but to be a catalyst for growth for those in the world that we meet. Are you a catalyst for growth? You know, one thing I've noticed, nobody, I've never seen anybody take some, not manure, fertilizer and spread it, spread it wherever you may spread it. And three, four weeks later, come back and say, hey, I want to show you my fertilizer. That is some good looking fertilizer. Isn't that pretty fertilizer? Some fertilizers are, you know, but this fertilizer is good looking fertilizer. No, no, that's not what we say, is it? We say, oh, look at this grass. Look how green it is. I gotta mow it every two, two days now. <laughs> I put fertilizer on it. Or we say, look at those flowers. Look how they bloom. Aren't they beautiful? Or check out these tomatoes. hmm big, juicy tomatoes. Because they were fertilized. The, the, the fertilizer's not for itself, it's for others. The fertilizer of the soil Makes other things grow. It's not for itself. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. You know, it's not just the ancient Hebrews. Actually, in World War II, Great Britain ran out of fertilizer. And the beetroot farmers took salt and used salt to fertilize their fields. Today, in the Philippines, they're actually using salt to fertilize. They're coconut plants. In fact, I heard that. He said this. The Philippine Coconut Authority recently released a technology, technolo- technology guide sheet for farmers entitled Salt, an effective and cheap fertilizer for high coconut productivity. The guide notes that salt accelerates crop growth and development, increases crop yield, minimizes damage to plants, and promotes environmental sustainability. According to the guide, between 1991 and 1997, farmers who fertilized fertilized with salt had a yield increase of 125% over unfertilized coconuts. So this morning, instead of putting yourself on the Sermon on the Mount as a 20th century American, put yourself to the Sermon on the Mount as a Hebrew farmer, or as a British, British beetroot farmer, or as a, Philippine, a Filipino coconut farmer, and you're hearing what Jesus is saying, and he's saying, you're the salt of the earth. You're saying, wow, I'm a catalyst for growth. I'm a catalyst for bringing the good news of the gospel to everybody I meet. And it's not about me, it's about them. In fact, he follows that up when he talks about being light. He says this, you are the light of the world. Again, these Jewish people that would have been listening to him at that point in time would understand that because they believed that they were the light to the Gentiles. You read Isaiah chapter 42 and 46, you see, I am the, the the Jewish nation is a light unto the Gentiles. But you read Acts chapter 13 and you see Paul and Barnabas and Paul says, you know what? You've rejected him. And the Lord has told us that we are the light of the world. We are the light to the Gentiles. And he's saying, not only are you salt, a catalyst for growth, but here's how you do it. You let your light shine. And that's exactly what he says, because this light shines to glorify, to, so folks could see our good works, to see what we're doing. And glorify our Father who is in heaven. So we are to be salt and light in the world. And when you commit yourself to being salt, to being, well, you know what? When a salt is thrown on the ground, it becomes fertilizer. You know what? It gets dirty. You get thrown into a manure pile. (laughs) You get dirty and you get smelly. And sometimes when you make yourself available to Christ and you make yourself available to minister to other people, it's going to get dirty. There's going to be some dirt under your fingernails. But God calls us to be salt. He calls us to fertilize, make everything around us better. And most of all, the message of Jesus Christ goes out because when we do our good works, it glorifies God. And every now and then, Instances come in our life. Circumstances come up where we get a chance. We get a chance to do a little bit of fertilization. That happened in the movie, Case for Christ. Lady named Alfie. Just going about her regular day's duties. Not thinking anything was going to happen special that day. A lot like most of our days when we start off. But let's take a look at the clip and see how things changed very quickly. Mm-hmm. Sweetie. Allie? What is it, baby? Are you choking? Mm-hmm. I think she's choking. Shall we come call? Allie. It's okay sweetheart, i have right here. Okay, stay calm. Look at Daddy. Oh, please, dude, come something. on. Cough, Allie, come on, baby. Leave. Somebody, somebody help something, please. Call an ambulance. Baby, you have to breathe right now. Okay, you, you need to breathe. Give her, give her some space. Come on, baby, please. Look at Daddy. Okay? Breathe for me. You're gonna be alright. I love you, sweetheart. Hand it to me quick, quick, I'm a nurse. Quick. Owl, quick, owl, owl. come on, come on baby. Come on, Come on, we call for me. We need you, you to cough, you you do Can you do that? Honey, can you hear me? I love you, sweetheart, just look at me, look at my eyes. Okay, stay here. Cough, baby, cough, baby. Cough, baby. Oh. <laughs> She's, okay? She's coughing, She's fine. She's okay, just breathe. So much. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know how to thank you. Come here, ma'am. Come here. Thank you. you so much, to thank me. I'm a nurse at Mercy Hospital. She's gonna be fine now. We are so lucky. Well, it's not luck. It's Jesus. <laughs> My husband and I went not be to another restaurant tonight. Someone told me I need to be here. Hmm. it's Jesus this wasn't an accident that I was here today just a few words of fertilizing now I didn't stop here if you see the movie and you know what happened Alfie spent time nurturing and caring for Leslie that's what happens God takes our availability our willingness to get dirty our willingness to be in life, and gives us the opportunities to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It isn't neat how, how Alfie shares with Leslie, who shares with Lee, a simple formula, and then he shares it really with the world. And this faith formula that we've shared and that Lee learned about last week in our clip of the movie, do you remember what it starts with? Believe. Yeah. The first the first item, the first element of our faith formula out of John chapter 1, verse 12 is that we believe. And it's simply that you believe on Christ. Christ says, You believe in God, believe in me, believe in my name, and you will be saved. But we add more to just belief because head knowledge is not just enough. What's the second thing? Receive receive. I take the Lord as my own. I accept. He is now not just a forgiver. He's my forgiver. He's not just a God. He's my God. And I receive him. And once you believe and receive, you what? You become. You become a child of God and we live that way and and that is a simple message and you say well I I don't know how I could ever explain the gospel of Christ. Can you say hey to someone, hey, you know if you believe and receive, you can become. We can do that. It's a way of being a fertilizer. It's a way of being light. Being able to share this good news of Jesus Christ. You say, okay, well, that, I understand that, but how do I be salt and light on an everyday basis? How can I be a witness? How can I share with my neighbors? I would suggest we have a pretty good example of Jesus Christ in the Bible and how he would go about being salt and light. In fact, it brings up a question You've heard of what would Jesus do question? Well, here is what if Jesus lived in my house? (laughs) What if Jesus lived in my house? That's kind of a scary question, huh? But think about this. What if Jesus lived in my house? And I think the first thing we would learn if Jesus lived in our house about being salt and light in the world and in our neighborhoods, the first thing we would learn is that before he went the neighbors about the heavenly father, he would go to the heavenly father about our neighbors. Before we go to our neighbors about our heavenly father, we would go to our heavenly father about our neighbors. There wasn't a significant event in Jesus's life, a major important event that he didn't preface it, preface it with prayer, with spending time with his Father. Pastor, British pastor John Stott talks about Jesus and his crucifixion. He's in, he studied it and he's, he's looked at it and he's looked at the, the wording of, of all these things that Jesus said and he said, you know, the, the imperfect tense of the verbs that we see in the crucifixion of Christ tell us, uh, lead us to believe that he didn't just pray once. Father, forgive them for they know what they do. But as he was driving, they were driving the nails into his hands. He was praying again and again, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Praying again, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Over and over and over again. Ask, I ask you this, if Jesus could pray like that for his tormentors, for those who are, who are putting him to death, how can we justify not praying for our neighbors? who don't know Christ. How can we justify that? If Jesus lived in my house, he would pray specifically, fervently, consistently for my lost neighbors. I know he would do that. I know you can't force people into Christian faith. You can't. But James 5:16 tells us this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. As we've been thinking over the last few months as staff and elders about the core values of Friends Church, we've had good core values, but we felt that there was something missing and we'll be sharing with you sometime soon here our complete list, but one of the things we added was effective prayer. We have a core value in this church of effective prayer, powerful prayer, James 5 prayer, and every day, all day, conversation with God. Well, what are you talking about? I believe if Jesus was our neighbor, he'd be talking to God about our neighbors. Or if Jesus lived in my house, he'd be talking to God about our neighbors. Here is a Incredibly convicting question. Here's the question If God would answer or have answered every prayer that you prayed for the past week, if God had answered every prayer that you prayed for the past week, would there be anybody new in the kingdom? Are you taking your neighbors to Christ? Jesus would because he took everything important. In fact, we know that because when we read his high priestly prayer in John 17 before he went to the cross, he prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples, and then he prayed for all those who would come and believe. He prayed for you, and he prayed for me, and he prayed for our neighbors. Before you take your neighbors to the Lord, take or to the, your, the Lord your neighbors, take your neighbors to the Lord. Talk to him, talk to him about them, pray for him. Because if Jesus lived in my house, he would pray for my neighbors. Yeah. Second thing we learn, if Jesus lived in my house, he would let the neighbors know that the door is always open for questions. I think he'd say, hey, come on in. Let's talk. What's your, what's your hang-ups here? What's your sticking point that we talked about a few weeks ago? Let's let's talk about them. I never seen anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus Christ has turned away anybody who came to him with a legitimate question or doubt or concern. That was not what he did. We all know <laughs> talk is cheap, but Jesus would spend some real time talking. Dr. Gary Habernas, who was uh, part of the movie, one of the people that Lee Strobel went and uh, talked to and, and is referred to in the book, is an expert on the resurrections, but he's also an expert in studied doubt. And he points to one of the biggest doubters in the scriptures when he's talking. And you might say, hey, that's Thomas. No, he points to another one. He points to a man named John the Baptist. Think if you were John the Baptist. John the Baptist had one time he had seen Christ and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He had baptized him and when he baptized him, he saw heaven open up and a voice came, this is my beloved son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. He had seen that. And if there was another time where John the Baptist said, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. But when times got tough, when he was arrested, when he was thrown into jail, when he was facing death. Like a lot of us, when times really get tough, there's maybe a little bit of doubt that creeps in. And so there's John, the one who proclaimed that this was the son of God who had seen heaven opened. Tells his men, hey, go ask him, are you the one or is there another one to come? Should we be waiting for somebody else? Or are you really him? Jesus' response, can you imagine if one of your chief cheerleaders now says, are you really him? One of those who was preparing the way, your cousin, <laughs> says, I'm not sure all of a sudden. Can you imagine what Jesus, re- well, go tell that John. Just I you know, can imagine what I would be thinking at that time. Doesn't he have any more faith than that? What's wrong with him? Jesus said in Luke seven twenty two. go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then a few verses later, he says this, I tell you, among those born of women, there was no one greater than John. You know, one of the things we try to create here at Friends Church is a safe place for questions. A safe place where you can come, and you can come to pastor's office, you can come to a growth group, or you can come with your friends and express the hurts, the pain, the doubts, that you may be having. It's one of the reasons why we, we purchase these books, The Case for Christ's Answer Booklet. It says the answers to 20 are the most asked questions about the Christian faith. Because most of the time, we know what the big questions are. They've been asked over and over and over again. But when it's personal, when it's me, why do I suffer? Why does my family suffer? Then it becomes more real than ever. We try to be a safe place, a place where you can come. I know some people think instead of the salt of the world or the light of the world, we're to be the club of the world. <laughs> you know? I'll, I'll show you. I'll, we just beat, beat into them, you know? You know, you know? And, and that's what people expect sometimes when they come to church. They're expecting this to be beat on. You know, what? You did what this week? <laughs> you know? Come on. You don't believe? How many times have we took? How many science school classes have you taught in? Boom. <laughs> you know? We want we, we expect people to be clubs. Oh, man, I would have loved it. You are the club of the universe. Mm, yeah. That's me. Club of the universe. But you know what 1 Peter 3.15 says? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Yeah. Be ready to give a reason. That's why we say, that's why we've been studying the case for Christ. Do you know why you have hope? Well, I read my Bible and I believe it. Some people don't believe the Bible, so what do you say? Well, I can tell you science and history back me up. Okay, well, that's okay, well, what else? I can tell you how it changed me. I can tell you how it changed me. The difference it's made in my life, in my family, in my neighborhood, in my job. There's no club there. There's no club. But with gentleness and respect, we share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And finally, the final lesson we would learn, if Jesus lived in my house, Is that he would live his life out with authentic faith. He would live his life out with authentic faith. Do you have authentic faith this morning? Talk is cheap. Jesus comes and he changes lives, but he does it as a servant. He was a servant to the blind that he made see, to the lame that he made walk, and he was a servant as he died on the cross. No fake. He lived an authentic life before his people. The Greek word, well Matthew 5:16 we read that, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That word good does not mean good as opposed to to bad. It means winsome and attractive. That they may see your winsome and attractive (laughs) deeds and that you would become authentic, authentic, They would see the goodness, the winsomeness in your life. Lee Strobel wrote another book. It was called The Unexpected Adventure. In there, he had a chapter named representing Jesus. It's told the story of a girl named Maggie. Maggie was turned off by Christ. In fact, the word she used was poisoned against God. By the church church and by those who professed to be Christians but weren't the real deal. In fact, she wrote a letter to Strobel, and she said this, "'The Christianity I grew up with was so confusing to me, even as a child. People said one thing but did another. They appeared very spiritual in public, but they were abusive in private. What they said and what they did never fit. There was such a discrepancy that I came to hate Christianity.'" and I did not want to be associated with a church. When we are inauthentic, when we don't live out, when our manure instead of, or our salt, or our fertilizer, instead of of helping things grow, kills things, then there's something wrong. At the church here, we've also been talking through our mission statement and working on the mission statement, which we're going to share you. But I can tell you part of it says that we believe as Christians we should be a community of authentic. In fact, it says authentic community of Christ followers. We want to be authentic. We want people to come in and be able to share their hurts and their needs because people are looking for the real Christ. Despite her aversion, Maggie's, to church, she went to a um, debate that Strobel had arranged. It was a, a famous atheist against a famous Christian, and she went to there, and, and she, she then began to go to a church as she reflected on her church experience, her new church experience, which included a small group experience. She wrote this to, uh, to Strobel. She says, when I came to the church into my small group, I needed gentleness. I needed to be able to ask questions. I needed to he- have my questions taken seriously. I needed to be treated with respect and validated. Most of all, I needed to see people whose actions match what they say. I needed to hear real people talk about real life. And I need to know if God is or can be a part of real life. She starts talking about the people she met in her small group. She says, does he care about the wounds I have? Does he care that I need a place to live? Can I ever be a whole person? I have asked questions like these in my group, and I have not been laughed at or been ignored or invalidated. I have not been pushed or pressured in any way. I don't understand the caring I've received. I don't understand that leaders don't seem afraid of questions. They don't say things like, you just have to have faith or you just need to pray more. They don't seem to be afraid to tell who they are. They seem to be genuine. They're looking for genuine, authentic Christians. If Jesus lived in my house, he would live an authentic life. She closed her letter to Strobel with a poem that she had written for the members of her small group, and she gave to the small group, and it goes like this: "Do you know, Do you understand that you represent Jesus to me?" Do you know, do you understand that when you treat me with gentleness, it raises the question in my mind that maybe he is gentle too. Maybe he isn't someone who laughs when I hurt. Do you know, do you understand that when you listen to my questions and you don't laugh, I think, what if Jesus is interested in me too? Do you know, do you understand that when I hear you talk about arguments and conflicts and scars from your past, I think maybe I am just a regular person instead of a bad, no good little girl who deserves abuse. If you care, I think maybe he cares. And then there's this flame of hope that burns inside of me. And for a while, I'm afraid to breathe because it might go out. Do you know, do you understand that your words are his words? That your face is his face to someone like me? Please be who you say you are. Please, God, don't let this be another trick. Please, please let this be real. Do you know, do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? She sent that to every member of her small group. Maggie's story doesn't end there. She eventually gave her life to Christ, was talking with Strobel on the phone one day and he wanted to know, what was it? What was the final thing that pushed you into relationship with Christ? Which argument was it? Was it the, he, you know, the, the argument that, yes, he, he, is, he was alive or he was dead and now he's alive? Or what, which, what was it? Because Lee Strobel was a thinker and he's a mind guy. And he said, what is it? And he said it was like he was shaking her head over the phone. She said this, well, I guess I just met a whole lot of people who were Jesus to me. Are you salt and light to those around you? Jesus said, unless you are, you're pretty worthless. <laughs> you're, not, you're not helpful in the kingdom. Be salt, be light. Be willing to get dirty and have an impact on others pray pray for those as Tasha said we're having the National Day of Prayer here Thursday, we're going to be praying for our nation we're going to be praying for our communities, we're going to be praying for our families pray for your neighbors, come pray for your neighbors Jesus would open it up to questions come with your questions, you don't have to have all the answers you don't have to have everything cleaned up, just come with your questions and Jesus would be authentic He's asking us to be authentic, be real, be genuine, be Jesus to somebody. What's our job? Our job's simple be ready and willing because God is always able. He will take your willingness and your readiness, and He will do some great work. He will be the one that makes the crop grow, He will be the one. That makes that grass green. He'll be the one that takes your works, your efforts, and bring much fruit. If we let Him, let's stand together. Challenge this week. Think about that. If Jesus lived in my house, pray for your neighbors. Let them know you're there for questions. If you say, I can't answer any of their questions, grab a book, that'll help. But use this book. Get to know it. And be authentic. Love him. Care for him. You're the salt. You're the light. Let's pray. Father, go with us today. Be with us as we become your witnesses into this world. Be with us as we share the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be with us as we share the reason. for our faith. Lord, sharpen our minds. But Lord, most more than that, soften our hearts. Soften our hearts to others. So that with gentleness and respect, we can care for those around us. We can bind up the wounds of the hurting. And through that, fertilize some really tough soil. Go with us today. Lord, place somebody on our hearts, somebody we need to share with, somebody that we haven't had the opportunity. And may we be faithful to your word and faithful to our calling. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, this week, if you haven't had a chance you're thinking about a neighbor? Uh, a few weeks ago, the owner of the theater, people that run the theater, told us that the case for Christ, yeah, we have it for two weeks, but we're, gonna have it, we're only gonna play it one week. Well, it's been extended, and it's been extended, and it's been extended, and it's been extended again. So you can still take someone, but it is done this Wednesday. This Wednesday, so it's still a playing. Take a friend. And then sit down with them and take them for coffee. Enjoy the discussion. Be salt and light in their lives. You're dismissed.